August gun sales top 1.3 million, the CDC turns back to gun research, and an interview with John Correa of Active Self-Protection. That and more on this episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Stephen Gutowski. I'm the host of the Weekly Reload Podcast and the founder of TheReload.com. This week, we have a number of big stories. I have my fellow contributing writer here, uh, Jake Fogelman, who is uh, one of our uh, top writers at The Reload, uh, here to discuss the news of the week before we get into our interview with John Correa from Active Self-Protection. We're trying out a new format here of uh, how to present the actual news update portion. I think it'll go a little bit smoother. It'll be a little bit more uh, energy to it, hopefully, and uh, maybe a better listening experience for everyone. But uh, I think we'll start with Jake's story about the CDC director coming out and making a new commitment to uh, millions of dollars worth of funding for gun research. Jake, can you tell us a little bit more about what the director said this week? Sure. So yeah, uh, CDC director Rochelle Walensky was on a exclusive interview with CNN. Uh, and she basically said that the CDC is going to make a concerted effort to dig into more gun violence research um, in light of the rising crime statistics. Um, she was very forthright about uh, acknowledging the controversy associated with that. Um, she said she really wants to include gun owners as part of it. Um, and just have a group effort in, in digging into to gun violence research, which she claims has been woefully understudied um, over the last couple decades. Right, yeah. And and obviously gun owners have a fairly legitimate reason to be skeptical of her claims uh, at this point. Uh, there, there is, in fact, a, a specific reason that the funding to, for and, uh, CDC gun-related research was... Uh, effectively cut off. I mean, technically it was only uh, removed for, for funds that would go towards promoting gun control. Now this created an uh, uh, atmosphere uh, that, you know, opponents of the ban uh, claim that it created an atmosphere where there just wasn't any uh, willingness by the CDC to fund gun research. uh, And so you saw a lot less of it, but uh, certainly not, it didn't go away completely in that time period. Um, And, the problem was that uh, prominent members of CDC leadership in the 1990s were actively talking about cutting off uh, or, or going after the concept of gun ownership in America, trying to uh, make it like cigarette smoking, where it's uh, you know dirty and banned uh, was, I believe, the quote um, or part of the quote, and, and which is uh, something that I wrote about this week uh, in a member's piece as well. You know, talking about how the CDC needs to tread lightly in this area if they really do want cooperation from gun owners and don't just want to sow uh, more dissension or more uh, um, skepticism of of the institution, which obviously is uh, trying to deal with a global pandemic right now, uh, which also, of course, raises questions about why um, the CDC director felt the need to do this interview at this time, especially when. Um, gun control organizations have been criticizing the the president and the white house for not uh doing all of the initiatives that they had wanted them to um so you you had that happen and then you had the cdc director come out and make this proclamation and obviously it's fair for uh 
gun owners and gun rights activists who look at that situation and be very skeptical of what the CDC is actually going to do. But on that front, uh, we, we do know already some of what they're putting this money towards, right? Um, yeah, they were going to look at the root causes of gun violence, I think was their specific goal, um, addressing why people choose to uh, take up arms and commit crimes with guns specifically. Um, so as of yet, they're not wading into the overtly political waters that they did back in the 90s. Um, she made it a point to really emphasize that they want to find the causes of gun violence rather than how guns play a role in, in other avenues of American life. Yeah, although there is one study that's been funded by the CDC that could potentially uh, lead to an outcome or you know a, a conclusion that is very controversial and political. It has to do with studying uh, local gun ownership rates and then um, comparing gun violence rates in those areas uh, to other areas with different, um, I mean, quote unquote, gun gun safety uh, uh, policies, which. Uh, oftentimes in that context means gun control laws. So we'll have to see how these uh, studies actually turn out in the end. Certainly um, many of them are about gun violence interruption type programs or understanding, like you said, the root causes of gun violence. So it's not impossible to see, you know, legitimate dispassionate research come out of this funding avenue. But again, uh, as I wrote in the members only piece, it's not necessarily something that is probably going to get a lot of gun owners excited and make them feel comfortable with what uh, the administration is doing here. That's exactly right. And so, Stephen, uh, uh, you wrote a piece this week uh, t talking about the August gun sales that just came out. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, certainly. Uh, they just dropped the numbers this week. Uh, actually came out very fast. Um, usually the FBI takes a couple days to process all the, the background checks and put out the, the numbers. And then the, uh, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which analyzes the numbers, is a trade group that represents uh, you know, gun businesses, gun retailers. Uh, it takes them a while to go through the coding on these uh, background check uh, data. To, to figure out which ones are actually gun sales and which ones are things like gun carry permits uh, so that they can put together their report on how many guns were actually sold in the month. But for August, that it came out on the first day of September. So good job to everyone involved on the speed of that one, I guess. <laughs> um, but the numbers are impressive. There is the second highest gun sales uh, level that we've ever seen for August, second only to 2020. Now, it is down significantly from 2020, about, uh, I believe it was 23%, but it still equates to 1.3 million guns sold just in the month of August to Americans. So it's quite a lot. It also represents the continuation of a new trend, a new normal for gun sales, which is basically the second best ever um, for 2021, second only to 2020. So you're seeing this uh, plateau occur where, yes, the gun industry is no longer setting new records every month for gun sales, but they're just below 
those record numbers. They have not dipped down below uh, 2019's numbers. In fact, 2021 is has almost through uh, August equaled the full year of 2020, or 2019 gun sales. So uh, they're still selling guns at an incredible rate. You've seen um, gun companies break in huge profits. In fact, their profits are only accelerating in the first half of 2021 at uh, Ruger and Winchester uh, as two major examples of that. Uh, So while we're seeing sales slow down a little bit, the gun companies themselves um, have not slowed down at all. And I would expect that their, you know, stock prices are probably going to benefit from that. Uh, in the short term, at least. And this new level of gun sales settling out well above the 2016 to 2019 levels, and frankly, the 2012 to 2016 levels before that, uh, it it likely means that more Americans are buying more guns, which is good news for the gun rights movement, and then, of course, for the gun companies. So uh, we'd look to see how things are going to go from here too, because we're actually coming up on the the best season for gun sales. Uh, the fall right. tends to see higher gun sales than any other time during the year uh, outside of 2020, where that was there were so many other motivations, including COVID and the rioting and racial unrest, uh, police relations, police brutality led a lot of new people to gun stores at times where you would usually see a drop off in sales, you know, March and, uh, you know, June, uh, we saw an increase, but this year has been closer to the traditional, you know, high sales in spring and then a drop off in the summer. And then we will likely see much higher sales coming up here in the fall uh, as we go into hunting season and the holiday season where people buy guns for each other. Obviously Black Friday tends to be the biggest uh, gun sales year day of the year, um, sure. like with a lot of other products out there. But uh, I think it'll be interesting to watch just how high 2021's gun sales numbers are going to get. And you're going to see uh, as well, you know, as well as that positive effect on gun company bottom lines and their stock prices, you're very likely to see continued shortages uh, as well of both guns and ammo moving forward, especially with the new. Uh, ban from the administration on Russian imported ammunition. Absolutely. Uh, and in, in your reporting, did you see anything that would indicate why we've seen such sustained levels of high sales? Obviously, you pointed to last year uh, with the rioting and the pandemic. Uh, it spurred a lot of people to buy guns. But, you know, the, the pandemic has kind of waned. It's still around, obviously. But uh, why do you think we still see uh, the second highest gun yeah, buying no, month I ever? Think that's, I think that's actually a really interesting question because, like, We've seen a lot of the motivating factors from 2020 uh, decrease at the very least. You've seen uh, COVID is obviously still around and the Delta variant is obviously wreaking more havoc than I think anyone expected it to, um, where we're getting terrible levels of, of disease throughout the country now. But people, the initial shock of COVID has obviously worn off and people are more used to dealing with it now. So that motivation to run out to the gun store to buy a gun is not the same, I would imagine, today as it was in March 2020. Um, and then you've also seen the rioting from summer of 2020 uh, dissipate as well. Uh, so a lot of those sort of unique motivating factors have gone away. But 
at the same time, you still have that political motivator. Uh, and the NSSF uh, spokesperson, uh, Mark Oliva, told me basically this exact thing that, you know, President Joe Biden is pursuing a very aggressive gun control agenda, which would include all kinds of new bans on uh, ownership of different kinds of guns. Um, and in fact, is pushing through several uh, executive actions uh, on things like pistol braces and uh, ghost gun, you know, so-called ghost gun kits, um, you know, redefining the, the definition of what constitutes a firearm, things like that, which could have significant impact to millions of people. Um, and, and that motivates people to buy, to buy guns. They, they are concerned that he'd be successful in getting what he wants, even though Obviously, Congress is fairly deadlocked on this issue and unlikely to produce new legislation. There are things that the president can do and has done, like again with the ammo ban, that drive people to want to buy guns uh, just in case he's able to find some new way to to get it, uh, the guns that they want to buy. I mean, the, the ammo ban really is a perfect example of that because uh, most people didn't expect that to happen. There, there It wasn't like something that was talked about early on in his administration or before he became president as a real possibility. It was something that they found they could do, uh, or at least found that they would like to try to do, uh, recently. And so that they put that into effect, uh, and, and that's likely to drive up the sale of ammunition in the short term. Uh, so I think that's really the big motivator left is, is politics. And, and plus you saw a lot of new people coming into the sport uh, last year. So those people are probably, uh, some percentage of those people are probably buying more guns now and more ammunition. And that that's led to sustained demand as well. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward, but I wouldn't expect the demand to crater anytime soon. That's for sure. Um, but I do have, a, another members only piece talking about this new trend, the new normal for gun sales over at the reload, where if you join today, you actually will get not just access to those pieces we mentioned, the members only pieces, but you will get access to this podcast a day early. So make sure you head over to the reload.com uh, and check us out. Uh, see what we are, see what's on offer. Join the free newsletter. If you haven't already, that'll give you a, some insight into the kinds of pieces that Jake and I are writing. And uh, if you support what we're doing, we're hundred percent reader funded, independent publication. We rely on membership uh, sales to make the reload a, a thing that continues. So go ahead and sign up today. Uh, but next up, we've got John Correa from Active Self Protection. We're going to talk to him. And then we have a new, another new segment where I interview one of the reload members themselves to see what they're all about, see what some of the people who do subscribe actually are like. Um, we're hoping to continue that, that sort of uh, segment going forward here. Uh, so also, if you ever want to be on the podcast, feel free to email me, respond to one of the members' emails that goes out every Sunday, and we'll see if we can have you on. All right, we're here with John Correa from Active Self-Protection. Uh, John, why don't you introduce yourself to anyone who might not know uh, who you are? Well, hi, I'm John Correa from Active Self-Protection, like you said. Um, Active Self-Protection, if you know me, you know me from YouTube. I run two YouTube channels, the big one uh, called active self-protection where everyday people send me real-life surveillance videos of defensive encounters, armed robberies, carjackings, muggings, home invasions, and I do after-action reports on them for education. So every single day, um, seven days a week, we post a new um, defensive encounter. Three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we post badge cams as well so people understand what law enforcement encounters are. 
Those serve a dual purpose for uh, training law enforcement officers as well as training the general public. Second channel, Active Self-Protection Extra, not quite as big. Big channel has around 2.5 million subscribers. Um, second channel is a little smaller, Active Self-Protection Extra. We upload eight videos a week there where we teach good, sane, sober, moral, prudent people self-defense. And uh, we also do an instructor certification. We now have our own podcast. We do live in-person events, um, travel and teach all over the country. And uh, I am kind of sort of known now as the John Madden of on-camera violence. <laughs> is that... Is that because you also look a little bit like John Madden or? You know, I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but uh, I'll take it. I'm just kidding. But no, I think you're, uh, I think that that's actually a pretty good breakdown as far as like you do, uh, you run through these encounters in a way that like John Madden used to do with his, when he break down the plays on, on Monday Night Football. But, uh, you know, I, I think that you uh, have one of the best uh, YouTube channels out there when it comes to guns and, and certainly one of the uh, most interesting uh, and verifiable maybe approaches to self-defense training uh, because of the way that, that you guys handle that and the classes you teach uh, well, that's, uh, are based off of that sort of research. Uh, well, so that's so the main reason why was, I wanted to have you on. Yeah, it, thank you. It, it, I started the videos because I was um, so I'm a lifelong, not lifelong, I'm a 15-year martial artist. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a master firearms instructor as well. I've got 1100 hours or so in gun school. Um, I love that. I got all kinds of certifications, all that stuff, but, but it started cause I was in martial arts and studying with my son and, uh, somebody sent me a video that I was like, like of a real knife attack, like a real one. And I was watching it on my Blackberry. That'll tell you how old this is. And I was like, Whoa. And I took it to my martial arts school and showed my teacher. And I was like, teacher, like, like professor, I, I don't know what to do here. And he was like, okay, well, let's workshop an answer to that kind of attack. And we worked in class for an hour and a half. And I felt like, not that I had mastered it, but that I, I at least had something for that kind of thing. And I walked off the mats going, wow, we actually used what happened to somebody in real life to inform our training. And that right there is evidence basis for training rather than, well, this is some way someone might attack you. No, here's how we see somebody do it in real life. So then I just started uh, posting them and seeing, here's an example, here's an example, here's an example. And after a while, we got 2,000 some odd videos on the big channel now. After a while, you start to see real patterns emerge. Uh, and you see things that both the defensive training community, the firearms community, the martial arts community, things that they absolutely love that we never see in real life and other things that they don't really pay a lot of attention to. And yet we see all the time in real life. And so that just made us focus on what we were going to do. And, and that's why I call myself an evidence-based defensive trainer. Yeah. And so, uh, what are the, what are some of your biggest takeaways in, in that regard? Like what are some of the biggest myths in self-defense training out there? Uh, and what are some of the biggest real life things that you see in, in your work that don't get emphasized in, in self-defense training? So the funny part is, um, this one, I, okay, I'm a gun school junkie and a firearms trainer, right? So like, I want to get students in class. This is one of the ways that I get paid. Uh, and yet, um, I'm going to probably anger some training junkie friends with this. I see real people use firearms as noisemakers, as a rattlesnake rattle, successfully all the time. So when people say, why are you an absolutist, John, on the right to keep and bear arms? Um, shouldn't people have to have training? You know, the reality is I, I see untrained people use firearms 
and not hit a thing. I'm talking about they're basically doing an other guy's desk pop with the gun and it successfully wards off bad guys. And now I don't think that's a good thing because I, you know, obviously those bullets come to rest somewhere and that can endanger someone. But it almost never actually causes any harm and yet it causes bad guys to scatter. And so when I say, do I wish all people would get trained? Absolutely, so that they have the best chance of immediately ending the threat. But you know what? Untrained people use guns all the time too and they use them very successfully whether they hit anything or not. So carry your gun. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, that actually comes up, I think, fairly regularly in uh, debates over uh, permitless carry or constitutional carry. Yeah, Texas um, just got it. Yeah, you see that a lot. And that was an issue in Texas specifically where you had some, uh, you know, concealed carry trainers arguing that they shouldn't remove the requirement for a permit because then you'd have untrained people carrying a gun. This is exactly the argument they made in Arizona. So Arizona passed constitutional care in 2009, went into effect in July of 2010. And the two arguments from the, the one argument from the non-gun crowd is there will be blood on the highways, right? You know, that, that people were going to have gun fights in Walmart parking lots. That never materialized. Uh, the other big opposition was from firearms trainers uh, and particularly CCW trainers who were like, no, this is what keeps people safe, which of course... I said that's hogwash, right? I think that uh, the funny part in Arizona, at least, is that uh, they, they cut a bunch of the DPS staff who was processing CCW permits when constitutional carry was enacted, thinking nobody's gonna need a permit, nobody wants a permit anymore, and the permit numbers actually went up after constitutional carry because, number one, you get reciprocity, number two, I think most people go, yeah, but I still want that education. Mm -hmm. And so- Yeah, certainly, you know, and obviously, uh, like you said earlier, I don't, I don't think anyone out there advocates, um, even those who, who want to see the repeal of permit requirements for, for, for gun carry, I don't think anyone advocates that, no, that you shouldn't get training, you shouldn't be responsible. Um, obviously, you offer training directly um, to people, so you're clearly not of the mindset that people shouldn't get you know, training or be responsible for themselves. I just don't think the government should, bureaucracy should uh, oversee that. And, and the government never, almost never does a good job of establishing standards and, and maintaining them. So I, it's the same thing that I tell people, listen, um, should you get training on responsibly practicing your right to free worship? Yeah, I think you should. Do I want the government overseeing and mandating that? Oh, sweet Lord, no. I, of course I should, should my journalist friends, um, get good training to be responsible journalists. Absolutely. Should the federal government or any government for that matter, oversee the licensure of journalists and, and, and enact training standards. Heck no, they shouldn't. <laughs> no. So those aren't the no, same they things. Not. <laughs> yes. I, I'm certainly in agreement with you there. And I, and I, frankly, I think, uh, uh, a lot of journalists would, view second amendment restrictions differently if they ever thought to compare it to first amendment restrictions um that and which is a, a lens that i commonly view this issue through uh personally but um but yeah you know certainly uh one of the things that interests me about uh active self protection and especially the success of the main channel on youtube is your approach is basically entirely educational um 
the videos are not meant for entertainment. And in fact, many of them are, are rather hard to watch, obviously, yeah. because they involve real world violence. But um, how, you know, what, what would you attribute your success with growing that channel to when most popular gun channels on YouTube are really just straight up entertainment, uh, you know, something like Demolition Ranch or, or any number of these uh, of other channels that sure. feature, you know, just different wacky things being done with guns. It's a lot of fun to watch, um, certainly, but very different from what you're doing. It, it really is. I mean, I don't really consider the main active self-protection channel a gun channel. It is an education channel. So I say on YouTube, you can do two things. You can either educate or you can entertain. It's best if you do both. Um, I, I think that uh, because no one else was doing what I was doing when I started doing it. I, I really created a market segment uh, with the narrated, um, you know, after action reports. So because of that, I, and I think I kind of have the, the, uh, the market cornered there. I'm kind of a monopoly. I'm not, I mean, it's a big internet, right? I mean, anybody can do that. So I mean, I've had, heard people say this to me. Well, you know, John, anyone can do what you do. And my usual response to that is, please, by all means, go for it. Uh, a couple of others have tried, and I think that the secret sauce of the Active Self-Protection channel is not the on-camera violence. Certainly, I have some viewers who just like violence snuff, you know, that, that exists. But I think it's my approach to self-defense. I, I try to really encourage good, sane, sober, moral prudence in people. And, and it's a an evidence base, but it's also a... Um, a, a moral bent to be the good person and to give good practical advice. I don't, I, I don't beat the drum for any particular tactic or technique, though I, when I see things that, that work all the time, I go, this is a good technique. You want to use that technique if you're in that spot because it works and you watch it work here or you watch it don't work here and that's why we don't do that. Um, but I think the other part of that is I don't, um, I don't beat a political drum at all on ASP. I, uh, I believe the Second Amendment is a civil right. It's for all people, and it should be apolitical. And so I don't, um, I don't force team, and I don't bundle ideas. And I think that that's also a big selling point. Uh, it is kind of funny. A lot of people uh, think they understand and know my political positions and my understanding of the world. They probably know less than they think in reality. <laughs> Um, and and I, I will say this, and I'll beat this drum uh, till the day is done. Uh, Self-defense is a human right, and uh, I don't care if all you and I have in common is a life to defend. Um, you have the right to defend your life, and if somebody threatens it, I'm on your side. Yeah, you no, know, certainly that's another aspect I wanted to talk about uh, with with your approach to how you guys run the business over there um, as this, yeah, very apolitical. Um, uh, what's you know big big tent i guess you could you could say yeah sort of approach uh, which is pretty unique i mean i suppose like a lot of the big entertainment side gun channels like like demolition ranch again like you know they're not necessarily very political either but i think you you uh guys go out of your way to um cultivate a community that is more uh about um you know the the free exchange of thought and that it, it try, you try, uh, in my experience, you know, watching you guys on Facebook or on, on YouTube, you try to, uh, eliminate sort of trolling and, uh, you know, obviously, and if only you saw the number of people awful. we banned for their idiocy, man, holy Moses. Yeah. Um, so why, why do you take that approach and why do you think it works? Well, um, I think that, that it's already a polarized enough issue, uh, in terms of the right to keep and bear arms. 
And, you know, we're, we're talking about real violence here. And so, so people's lives are at stake. It's already serious enough. We don't need to add things like uh, racism and misogyny. We don't need to add things like bundling political positions. You know, uh, everybody right now has a political position on COVID. I, I, ASP has no position on that because no matter what your position is on that, so your, your right to self-defense and your need to protect yourself exists. And so um, I, I didn't do an awful lot of coverage of uh, riots um, in terms of riot survival. My number one thing is don't get involved in a riot, right? And with the few that we've seen, here's a few techniques to get the heck out of there, but I'm not going to teach you how to have uh, a clubs and bats and sticks fight uh, with the, the other side, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm just not. The, the answer is run like heck. And, and I think we've done that because, so, so my core, my background is education, right? So I was a vocational pastor for 14 years and I taught college and graduate school for nine. <clears throat> and so as a college educator, um, it's not all that different than a journalist, right? As a college educator, you are really trying not to instill your values and ideas. You're trying to teach students not what to think, but how to think. And you're trying to expose them to ideas, a broad swath of ideas. Uh, so then that way, that's, that's education, not indoctrination. And um, I, I take that seriously, like I know you do as a, a journalist. And so uh, in that educational vein, I'm not trying to indoctrinate, although I'll say, you know, I think the evidence points towards a robust right to keep and bear arms, which is why I'm for that. And, and all the secondary issues are what they are. And I think that good people of, uh, who are good, sane, sober, moral, prudent people can disagree about a lot. And so I want to help all the folks who want to protect themselves and their, their loved ones. And, but people can feel very alienated if they get forced teamed on other issues. And that goes a lot of different ways. So, I, I mean, I've got folks from the far right-wing fundamentalist Christian homeschooling, you know, uh, like as far right as you could possibly imagine, all the way over to far lefties um, who who are, you know, way big Black Lives Matter supporters. And and I, I go, listen, we all have the right to keep and bear arms. And I'll sit and have dinner with any of you. And um, personally, honestly, if I'm allowed to speak freely from my own personal convictions on this, I think that that was how Jesus lived his life. You know, he had disciples who were both uh, Levi the tax collector and uh, Simon the zealot, who's rabidly anti-Rome. And so uh, if Jesus could have those guys in, among his disciples, then I can uh, I can do that in my business. Yeah, certainly. And, uh, you know, I think that's another area where we... Uh... Uh, share some some similarity uh you know obviously i was i was uh brought up in, in the church and uh uh went to christian school and you know evangelical christian and and uh you know i, I take the same things from my um experience uh in christianity that that you do in this regard and and often uh the same approach in how i run my business the reload right i mean that I, I think a lot of what you guys are doing um, gives me the confidence that I can do s something similar with, with the reload and, and trying to make it something more sober and serious and less alienating for people. But I do think that that, uh, swims upstream a bit, um, yeah. in, in the gun culture, uh, especially online. Um, but even, you know, the mass gun culture, uh, especially when it comes to gun rights, you see a lot of 
uh, groups out there, whether it's, you know, the NRA or Gun Owners of America or, or whoever, um, <clears throat> trying to, you know, and this is to certain degrees. Some groups are, are, are less committed to this than others, but uh, it's often they're trying to sell you an entire identity um, yeah. rather than a single, uh, you know, principle dealing with gun rights. Um, and that's become more of a trend and, you know, it's not limited to the gun area. It's not, you see this with the ACLU as well, as mm -hmm. I've talked about in the past, you know, which is supposed to be about a civil liberties, um, protecting civil liberties, but really they become more of a, you know, progressive liberal identity group that is the, you know, this is, uh, started on the left with, uh, or at least was talked about on the left prominently with intersectionality where you're supposed to not just believe in abortion rights or or, uh, you know, uh, gun control, but you're supposed to combine those two separate issues uh, and then combine those with all of the other issues that the left, uh, you know, that, that American liberalism uh, holds dear. And now you're seeing a lot of that on the right as well. Um, not that, you yeah. know, not that that's new, but it's, it seems to be increasingly polarized and, and this makes its way into uh, movements as well uh, with, how closely they associate with the political party that their um, issue is favored by. So the NRA, for instance, obviously has endorsed fewer and fewer Democrats over the years um, and more and more Republicans to the point where it was, you know, basically indistinguishable from the Trump campaign in 2016 and 2020, um, which meant embracing quite, you know, quite a lot of, uh, ideas and, and even beyond like the political stuff, like getting into, you know, NRA country or something like that, where you like, you, it's more about uh, appealing to a certain demographic or a certain identity group rather than anyone who might agree with uh, the, the mission to defend gun rights um, or in my case to report on gun issues or in your case right. to, uh, tr you know, offer self-defense training. Um, so I, I do think there's a bit of swimming upstream there. Um, like, is that how you see it as well? Am I being too pessimistic on it? Um, you in know, regards to the overall culture. You know, what's that that uh, um, you know colloquialism that in in matters of preference swim with the current and matters of principle stand like a rock. You know, um, is it swimming upstream? I do think some, but uh, I also think listen in my. My little libertarian heart says, you do you, boo, and I'm okay. If you want to be full right side, you know, um, MAGA hat wearing Trump folk, okay, that's fine. If that's what you believe in, great. Um, I also have friends who are part of liberal gun owners. You know, um, Laura Smith, the president of liberal gun owners, is, is a friend, and I've had dinner with her, and uh, Sarah Hauptman you know, Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus, who is definitely um, politically left of center, uh, a friend of mine. I, I have done events for uh, armed equality. And, uh, you know, people have asked me, John, would you uh, train a, a Muslim? Not only would I, I have, and I would. I don't, that doesn't, you know, I, I don't make those kind of things. And it is a little counterculture. But the other side of it is, you know, when, when something like that, the NRA went full in on the culture war, um, I looked at that and said, man, look at all these people that we are, uh, that, that we want a robust right to keep and bear arms. We're not going to keep that by force teaming. We're, we're just not. Uh, we have to be willing to um, big tent it a little bit. And I joke as a lowercase l libertarian, I'm more kind of live and let live 
because libertarians tend to be kooky and weird. And, you know, I, I like libertarianism, but I pretty much hate libertarians. Um, <laughs> and, and but, you know, we joke for you folks on the right, you got to accept uh, the gays in the weed, you know, and for you folks on the left, you got to accept free enterprise and guns like, you know, and, and like we can live together and it'll be fine. Um, and and uh, so I, I do think it's a little bit, but but man, you'd be surprised too, Stephen. I get for every person who says, you know, that that um, I'm not right wing enough, uh, I get ten people who say, man, thank you for for making uh, your channel a place that I feel welcome. Uh, and uh, we show these videos literally all over the world. So YouTube is a, a worldwide entity. And so I'm speaking not just to Americans, I'm speaking to the world. And so from that perspective, I also want people all around the world to see an example of an American who is a good, sane, sober, moral, prudent person who they can relate to. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to, <laughs> sometimes talking about this stuff or like, Holding, holding, holding yourself up as like a counterculture or like nah. whatever is a bit, uh, definitely can come across as too dramatic. Um, or, <laughs> you know, you know, I think uh, that, that, but I think it's true to some degree, you know, I mean, I, so I lead my business now, you know, we have something over 3 million total social following. So I am an influencer in those person. I hate that phrase, by the way, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a trusted advisor. Um, you know, I was, a, again, a vocational pastor for 14 years, worked in management, was in the military. So I've been doing leadership training since I was young in reality. And, and the job of a leader is to lead and leadership is not, um, bullying. Leadership is not, um, uh, you know, telling people what they have to do. It is instead, I think, you know, I love that the idea, the Seth Godin idea of, of opening people's minds to what could be and influencing of, of uh, you know, giving this idea of saying, okay, leaders have to be willing to uh, provide an example that people want to follow. And, and so that's what my goal is, is just to not be that guy that goes, well, you have to do this thing and get exactly like me, but to say, you know, how about if we thought this way? Could we could we be compassionate? Could we be caring? You know, can we um, understand everyone? And and that's that paraphrase of Aristotle, right? It's the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain an idea without accepting it. Um, and yeah, that's a paraphrase. It's not an actual quote, but uh, to do that, I think takes um, is is what we're called to do. So that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, certainly, and I, and I think that the calculation that uh, is at play with with how some groups will try to, or, or publications or YouTube channels. Um, it's not just about, you know, the NRA or what any of these gun groups, there's this, you see this across the board on, on, uh, you know, at gun publications and at, you know, gun channels on YouTube, um, as well. Like it's a common tactic to, um, appeal to your core audience's sense of identity, whether or not that has anything to do with, uh, the issue of, of gun rights. Um, well, particularly because that's how they fundraise, right? In, yeah. in organizations that they, whether that's, hey, we have to sell a product so we're a for-profit company or we have to get donations because we're a nonprofit like the NRA, appealing to your core base makes you money. Sure. And uh, then that we, we live in a time that, that flying the tribal flag and the p tribal purity flag says, you know, everyone has to get like me and we support each other. And yeah. Quite frankly, as evangelical Christians, we've been doing a very 
a significant job of this since the moral majority in the 70s, um, I don't find that helpful. Uh, I find uh, much more use in a book like James Davison Hunters to Change the World, where we build dense networks that um, reach beyond our borders and invite people. We're, we're bridge builders, not gatekeepers. So it does cost me money. I'll tell you that. It costs me crazy money uh, not to appeal to the base. I could, uh, I definitely understand as a YouTuber, if when you make videos that appeal to the base, they share them, they watch them, they applaud them, they leave you approbation. You make money on that because advertisers take out on that stuff. I joke on my big channel, if I wanted to really grow it, I would never show a negative outcome. I would never show a good person getting mugged. I would never show somebody getting hurt. I would just show nothing but good guy shoots bad guy. I would just do that again and again. Yeah. And I'd make way more money. You think so? I mean, this is where this is where I guess the 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 rub is. Like that is what a lot of people have decided is the case. Um, but I, to me, you know, I wonder if, uh, well, for one, everyone's decided that's the case, so everyone's doing that already. So there's not, there's, there's plenty of competition for people, you know, if you just want to have your opinions screamed back in your face, right, without any challenge whatsoever. Um, and then two, like, at some point, you're going to alienate not only people who don't agree with your point of view, but also, like, people who agree with you, but aren't you know incredulous yeah, they don't want to be associated with yeah. all the other stuff well and don't and just don't want to be like fed bs or at least like manipulated basically that that they you know that they want to hear the full story um i, I think at some point you turn those people off too and so you've cut out you know a large percentage of people from that the group that you could ever reach with your message or your your business or your uh, your product. Um, well, I definitely agree case, with you. So. I think it's a short term versus a long game focus. You know, when you play right. long ball, um, you know, you're always looking at this is no different than business. Steven. You see so many companies that the senior leadership will do something that's actually deleterious to the company in order to boost their quarterly so that their stock price goes up. And as they sell or whatever, they make more money based on that. And, you know, their end of year bonuses are based on on that rather than the overall health of the company. Um, and the long-term success of the company. So, I, but okay, you'll make that short-term money, but long-term, you, you're not setting yourself up for health. I prefer right. to do to play the long game. Right, because like in your example, right? Like, yeah, I, I'm sure that um, for, for those of your uh, audience who are watching because they have an ideological um, investment into the idea of armed self-defense, Right, someone, someone like myself, perhaps, right? Uh, you know, there, and there's plenty of people who do, millions and millions of people. Um, you know, yeah, it would be easier to sell them a video that's just about, you know, somebody who's was successful in defending themselves. Yep. Um, uh, and they're much more likely to share a video like that, perhaps, than a video that where you see the consequences of somebody who failed, even if they did try. Uh, which is, you know, real life. You're never going to have a hundred percent success rate with anything. And um, but at the same time, if you did that strategy, right? If you just posted those videos all the time and never talked about the downsides or the potential risks involved with armed self-defense, or you know, not even just armed self-defense, but all all sorts of things, um, <clears throat> then eventually people, you know, there would be a lot of people who 
your reputation will become somebody who's not truthful, that you only talk about the positive side yep. of things. The same thing with, with me at the reload, right? If I only ever posted about the times when the gun rights side wins a court case or passes a law that, that uh, gun rights advocates like, um, you know, sure, I could get people um, maybe to share that uh, stuff more often. Uh, although, you know, even then, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I just think that being, leaving out all the other stuff, the times when they lose court cases or uh, a law passes that they didn't want to pass, like eventually people will realize that that's what I'm doing <laughs> and right. take me, really part won't, won't take me seriously anymore. I agree. I agree. Beyond, and I the, beyond this certain well. core of people who would, you know, it's the old Lincoln saying, right? Uh, you can fool some of the people all the, uh, all the time and you can fool all, all the people, people some of the time. time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. Right. Uh, and that's, I think, the dilemma that you get into with a lot of uh, partisan, like heavily polarized or heavily uh, ideological uh, media uh, motivations or like outlets that, that focus on putting forth a, a heavily partisan point of view is like, yes, you can still have, you, you will still be able to get a significant number of people. You probably still run a business off of just those people. Clearly you can, the people do it uh, all the time. It's just that the, the potential reach of that business is much smaller. Uh, now I think, you know, this is where the calculation comes in is like, <laughs> uh, it seems like groups like the ACLU or, uh, or the NRA or, or, you know, media outlets that, uh, have, have catered heavily towards one political uh ideology or another they've they've made a calculation that they can get more money out of the, that core group of people than they right. can out of that broader group of people um by by operating the way that they do but my question is whether or not that's actually true in the long term and it's like i look at places like asp and it to me stands out as an example of somewhere that that can well, have much more success doing things the way that you do it in the long term. I think so. And I think, you know, also what's your end goal, right? Like, so a lot of people that own a business, well, what's the purpose of your business? The purpose of your business is to make money so that you can feed your family and do your life. Um, I didn't start Ask with that in mind. I started Ask to educate people. It was totally a, a, a side gig, just a passion project that uh, then started making a little bit of money and I ended up taking it full time. But that wasn't, you know, it was never supposed to be a business that supported my family. And so when, you're, when your goal is education uh, or when your goal is information and um, knowledge transfer, well, then as long as you stay true to the mission, then you're going to take that broader perspective, in my opinion. And with that in mind, um, I think if you do that, then you'll be taken care of. You know, it's like any good business, right? Any good business, if your focus is on we got to make money, you're going to struggle, in my opinion. You're going to you're going to be limiting. If instead it's no, we're here to to make a product that's really good for people, and if we make a great product and put it out there in the market and market it well, then we'll do okay. Yeah. And that's, I think, I mean, I don't know, I'm at the place now where I've got 14 employees that get paid every month. So I think we're doing okay. <laughs> right. Right. And there's not a lot of YouTube channels that have that, frankly, even the successful ones. I, I would guess there's something on the order of uh, five to 7,000 YouTubers in America who make a full-time living at it. There's, there's, mm -hmm. there's probably that many tops would be my guess here in the U S. So, um, you know, there's only, 
9,000 or, or 10,000 channels worldwide that have over a million subscribers. So, right. uh, you know, having that is, is, um, a, a big stewardship in my opinion, and yeah. it makes me responsible for using it well. Certainly. And, and most of those YouTubers who make a living at it also don't have like an actual staff built around them either. They, they can't necessarily, they can support themselves and maybe even, uh, you know, do quite well, um, at that point. But, but, uh, you found a way, uh, with your approach that lets you not only support yourself, but, but an entire company. Um, well, and I staff. can't, I mean, I have a staff cause I could never do the work. I mean, sure. you know, we put out 18 videos a week. I could never do that on my own. I don't have the number of hours in the day that would let mm -hmm. me do that. Um, we, we have a training arm, we run an instructor certification, we have live events. We, you know, uh, nope, <laughs> right. not a chance. So I have to have those folks. Uh, their their input is um, uh, non-negotiable. So yeah, I just think it shows that your approach is is working for sure. <laughs> I, think, I, well, I mean, I, I think there's evidence to that point. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of which, you have a uh, a new podcast. Uh, we do. We just started our just podcast. Started. Yes, that uh, that I'm actually part of. Yes, um, I'm excited to have you on it too. Yeah, it's it's great. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's just sort of a partnership. I'm not getting paid or anything, but it's but it's I think it's wonderful to have uh, to be able to bring your audience uh, some of the reporting that we're doing over at the Reload. Um, uh, I'm excited to have you. I think so. So the purpose of the podcast, we decided. I mean, uh, I'm personally not a huge podcast listener. I'm usually making YouTube videos, right? But mm -hmm. I know a lot of people are. People love that long form content. And, uh, and so my, my good friend, Mike Wilver is literally my oldest friend. I've known him for 20 years or more. And <clears throat> Mike, uh, just retired from federal service and he was an interrogator basically, uh, which is really the same word as interviewer. Right. <laughs> and, uh, so there's a lot of podcasts out there about, um, about gun training and yep. there's trainers talking to trainers. Those are a dime a dozen. There's bunches of those. Yep. But there's nobody out there doing uh, interviews of real life people who've been in real life defensive encounters. And, and those folks are very hard to come by, in fact. But I, of course, have this built in audience that that's what they, you know, they send me their videos. Now I get emails every week of people. This was me. Uh, mm -hmm. And not, maybe not every week, but, but pretty regular. Yeah. And I get m emails from people. John, you saved my life. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't save your life. You saved your life. Tell me what happened. Um, and so letting those folks tell those stories and hearing the stories, of course, vetting them, right? Making sure that it's not somebody that's just blowing wind. But um, I find that I'm like, man, those are compelling stories of real life. And so we decided to start a podcast. And, and so far, it's, um, you know, I'm willing to invest in it. And, and I, I'm excited for it. We just launched our third episode. Uh, so it's a baby right now, but we've got some great episodes coming up of real people involved in some real hairy stuff. And, and I think having you on there with the latest on here's what's going on in the Second Amendment world and with, with firearm stuff, I think is also a great way for people to get that. So I'm excited to, to start it and bring it to, to the market. Yeah, no, I think it's gone really well so far. I, you know, I'm the same as you in that, uh, you know, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts myself. Uh, but I, I put on the second episode. So you're, you're on their very first episode, obviously. Uh, skip that one because, you know, who wants to... Because who wants to hear wants me? To I hear get it. But, <laughs> just kidding. But, but I, you know, listening to that second episode, um, you know, I put it on to, oh, I want to, let's see how my segment went, you know, I don't yeah. know. But, uh, but obviously, you know, as I went, as I started to listen to the interview, 
of the 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 person who had uh, survived a self defense encounter. Like it just became so engrossing that I couldn't stop listening to it. Uh, and so I listened to the entire uh, hour long podcast, uh, even though I didn't intended just to see how I sounded on there. You know, uh, just because the content was so good, this the, the the interview was so good and the story was so compelling that I couldn't stop listening to it. Uh, you know, and I think doubly so people say that about stuff, but it's true. I think doubly so when you recognize that that, uh, so is James Guthrie and his self-defense encounter, we, we narrated and it's on the main channel. So you can see it and this is what happened. And then you can hear about it from the first person perspective. And that just amplifies the learning experience and makes it yep. so much more real. Um, and so I really think it's unique and I'm, I'm yeah. uh, super and excited yeah, about it. And Mike does a great job of interviewing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. He's, he's done an amazing job so far, especially for someone just starting out with interviewing. Like he's got a knack for it for sure. Um, and I think that uh, it, it's going to be a big podcast in my, you know, that, that's what I would take away from it is like, I, I listen to the whole thing and I don't listen to a lot of podcasts other than of course this one, which uh, everyone should listen to every second everyone of should every week. But but, um, you know, that re really hooked me. Uh, and, and so, like, I think that's going to be a big deal. Uh, From your know, lips to no God's ears. no one else doing something friend. like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Rosie, here we it. come. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so how can people find more, uh, more of you, more of active self-protection? How can they sign up for, like, a class or something like that if they want to get involved? So obviously you can find us on YouTube, right? Uh, two big channels, Active Self-Protection or Active Self-Protection Extra. Um, find us there, 18 videos a week to help you as a better, be a better self-defender. Uh, we have a Facebook page. I have an Instagram. Um, I suck at Twitter. I do have a Twitter, but I'm terrible at it. Don't, don't follow me on Twitter. Just no. Uh, and um, you find us there. You find us, the podcast is on all the major platforms now. So Apple, Spotify, all those. Um, if you want to find out where we're going to be and when, you go on our website, ActiveSelfProtection.com. We have our training schedule up there. Obviously, the current pandemic has wrecked everything. Uh, it was supposed to be tomorrow. You know, uh, in fact, we were supposed to be in Houston, and that got canceled. And uh, our next big training event is our national conference, which is a charity event. Uh, three days of training at the end of September in Manhattan, Kansas, all to benefit the Flint Hills Foster Teen Camp. You can find out all about that on our website as well. So. Um, and that lists where we'll be when we're doing live stuff and where you can find us. And I highly recommend it. I, I actually have to make it out to one of these trainings because I really want to try the class. Uh, like, I, well, I come on, man. Amazing. Last weekend in September. We're going to have to put, we're going to have to set something up for sure. Um, but, and maybe I'll write about it for the reload too. That could be interesting for people, I think. Um, but all right, well, we really appreciate you coming on, uh, and talking with us, giving you, giving us some of your time, uh, uh, so the audience can better understand what you guys are doing over there. I thought it was really interesting, you know, so, some of the stuff that, that you do differently from everyone else. Um, we actually have, a an interview with one of the reload members coming up after this. So make sure you guys stick around to hear that as uh, a new segment, we're going to try out and, and, uh, uh I am a reload here. member too. So you got yeah. two interviews. There you go. Hey, hey, look, if John Korea is a member, I mean, <laughs> you guys should all be members uh, too. But, I get the email and right, I'm a follower. Uh, hey, hey, we appreciate the support. Any, anything we can get. It's independent, you know, reader funded organization here. So, so uh, we are grateful for, for anyone who's, who's willing to help keep us going. Uh, but thank you for coming on and we will hopefully talk to you again real soon. Thanks so much for having me, Stephen. All right, I'm here with member Cal Davis. Uh, we're doing a new segment uh, on the podcast 
where we just we talk to some of the reload members and get uh, a little insight into who's subscribing and why and what they're like. Uh, uh, thanks for joining us, Cal. Can you uh, just tell people a little bit about yourself? Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, my name is Cal Davis. I am uh, happy to be in the you know reload community. Uh, enjoy getting the emails and the the voice of uh, of reason, a little bit of uh, independent <laughs> uh, voice of reason uh, that's not out there. Of course, firearms enthusiast, NRA instructor, uh, business owner, and family man, and common sense enthusiast. And so, part of that, all of those things, uh, I think, are probably uh, resonate with your listeners, uh, readers yeah. rather. Uh, so that's yeah, kind of where I'm at. I imagine a lot of our readers are, are, are probably like you um, in the sense that, uh, you know, they, they, they own guns, they like guns, maybe they work in the, the industry in some way, um, and, and, uh, but they're looking for maybe a little bit more uh, original reporting, a little more of a calm, sober uh, demeanor. Is that, is that kind of what drew you uh, to subscribe? Absolutely. Um, again, I joked about the common sense approach, but it's a matter of, you know, being a responsible, you know, gun owner, uh, which involves not only, you know, safely owning a gun, but responsibly representing, you know, other gun owners. And sure. yeah, a calm, you know, reasonable, you know, approach to owning guns, you know, like, like has been said a hundred times, you know, gun ownership is, is our, our right, but by the same token, our responsibility. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of where, where I stand on that. And I like to support anybody that has that, that same view, you know, where it's a calm, responsible ownership and not a, you know, uh, exaggeration or, you know, uh, any of the, the other media outlets that tend to, you know, overdo things. Yeah. Or, or just be completely misinformed about guns. I think it's a common problem, right? <laughs> well, yeah, those are the easy ones, right? You know, anybody yeah. that, you know, <laughs> we all know about our, you know, our 50 round AK clips that go into our locks <laughs> and, and those types of things. Those are the easy pickings, but sometimes the, the less, uh, the more subtle ones are, are just as damaging because they're even a little more believable uh, from, you know, some of the people that just know a little bit. Um, in my experience with uh, my business, we deal with a lot of new gun owners or, or people that have never owned a gun and are thinking about owning a gun. And it's amazing the information that, that gets to them um, or how little accurate information gets to them. And so uh, like you take, you know, a calm, reasonable approach, uh, common sense and, and just facts uh, it goes a long way uh, to the public that isn't that aren't even gun owners yet. Right. Right. And uh, so how did you get into to gun ownership? What what was it? Have you always been a gun owner? Did you grow up around guns? What what was it for you? I did. Uh, I had the benefit of growing up. You know, my father always had, you know, a firearm, you know, for uh, just he had a. 16 gauge bolt action shotgun, mm. which was the first, which isn't that common. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that'll Very wake cool. you up uh, as a 10 year old. <laughs> uh, and so we did, we had the fortune of that. We had a place to shoot and just grew up with that as a safety, you know, very safety conscious, but always grew up shooting, uh, you know, little 22 rifles and, and on throughout uh, was able to, when I got older, then, you know, uh, purchase more guns and, and enjoy the shooting sports from sporting clays to um, a little bit of precision shooting uh, at distance. We have the opportunity to shoot out at distance and had some, some of that. And then uh, some of the pistol, I'm an NRA pistol, you know, firearms instructor uh, and do that, you know, as yeah, well. Too. <laughs> yeah. And so it was great. You know, it's a, 
you, even though you think you know a lot, you grow up around guns, you own, you know, guns and, and, uh, even to the point of teaching my son, you know, the, you know, how to shoot and the safety and that type of thing. It's, it's great to learn from other instructors. So taking the class and then teaching, you know, learning how to teach, you get the different opinions and, and it's great, you know, to be part of a community because you don't know what you don't know. And, um, it's been, you know, that NRA class was the instructor class specifically was, was excellent. Um, mm. and again, good instructor, you know, good information. So that's kind of my, my background. Um, I am in a yeah. business now, uh, like I said, not commercial, but, uh, we do a virtual range. And so that is yeah. a great opportunity to, uh, our motto is, you know, responsible gun ownership and, and, uh, it's more of an education uh, piece. And so we pride ourselves in being a training facility first. And so that's where we've taken kind of that NRA safety stance and the education piece. And it's really low barrier to entry. Um, there's no real guns. So it's not uh, scary uh, or intimidating for somebody that's trying to figure out and get some answers or see what, what shooting sports are all about. Wow, that's interesting. So what uh, what's the name of the business? And, and you say you get a lot of first-time uh, gunners coming through there. What's that, what, what's that experience been like? Yeah, so... Uh, the name is Engage Virtual Range. Uh, it's a virtual range, no headgear. It's just sim guns, like a cert pistol, uh, you know, other resetting triggers, and then some CO2 uh, to simulate recoil. Um, and then you're shooting at a at a screen that has an image, and the laser, you know, reads that and then comes back. Hmm. A golf simulator, uh, but for firearms is kind of the the short elevator speech. Uh, new owners, you know, there's a lot of people went out and bought a gun um, and didn't know what to do with that gun, didn't even know how to bring it home safely. It's sitting locked in a box somewhere. And so they are afraid to take it out and shoot it. They don't know where to shoot it. They don't know how to shoot it. Um, they don't know anything about the rules, uh, you know, here in Ohio, you know, different rules. A lot of people thought about signing up for our CCW course, which is a state course to be able to carry with the intent of learning how to shoot or learning about guns. And that's really not the right format. Um, so we had a right. lot of people that came to us before that. And we did a class, you know, intro to gun ownership. And, you know, it's why do you want to own a gun? You know, why did you buy, you know, a 22 pistol? You know, <laughs> what is your why? You know, do you want to teach your son how to shoot your daughter how to shoot? You know, do you want to protect your home? Do you want to protect yourself out in public? You know, and then trying to match that up, you know, what makes sense for you? Uh, and as part of that class, we give them a chance to just do some shooting with just our our inert pistols and the CO2 recoil. Um, and we got a great feedback. Uh, people really appreciate the chance to come out in a, in an environment like that, get some solid information, you know, nothing, you know, pushed one way or the other, and then actually, you know, shoot and see what it's like to shoot a, even a SIM gun. Um, mm. And several people were after taking that course decided that they weren't ready for gun ownership, um, which is great. Uh, they come back, get more comfortable, you know, figure out what they really want, what they don't want. Um, and then a lot of people took that and then went and got their CCW and then came to us afterwards for some situational training to, to practice, to really learn, uh, you know, to get more proficient with safe firearm handling and that type of thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially right now with the MS shortage. Uh, I imagine you're probably seeing a lot of people you might not otherwise see with the, with the dry fire exercises saving on ammo. Um, so that's we really, did. yeah, this is really fascinating. Um, uh, business model, you know, this not sponsored, maybe, hey, maybe we should have you on as bring you guys on as a sponsor, but, <laughs> but uh, uh, I do think that's a really, really fascinating 
new is not that obviously cert training and and dry fire training has been around for a long time, but these sort of uh, simulator uh, uh, style uh, uh, facilities that like what you're running uh, are are relatively new. The last you know decade or so, you've seen more of them pop up around the country, and it, I would imagine that's only going to accelerate from here. Um, but we really appreciate you coming on uh, to have a, a quick chat and give us some insight from uh, one of the Reload readers, uh, one of the members. Um, if you guys want to be a member, you can uh, join today over at thereload.com. But we're planning to do this segment more in the future. So uh, really appreciate you coming on, Cal, and, and uh, hope to hear from more Reload members real soon on the podcast. Thanks. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, hey, that was a fun segment. I think we're going to do that more often. I, I enjoyed talking with the actual Reload members, um, and I think we'll probably try to have more people on in the future. So uh, make sure you get your membership so you can be one of them, <laughs> potentially. Uh, but I think that's it for this week's episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gutowski, and I will see you again next week. Just for fun, I had one friend, now there's none. I made the devil run. I broke so many bones, but none of them were ever my own.